You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. I have Charlotte Resnick, PhD. She's the author of uh, a book called The Power of Your Child's Imagination, How to Transform Stress and Anxiety into Joy and Success. Uh, she's been a contributing author to other books as well. And uh, she's an authority on how to engage with and develop mindfulness, meditation, and imagination in children, teens, and young adults. So, Charlotte, thanks for coming. How are you doing? Oh, great. Very happy to speak with you. Okay, well, tell me, um, I guess your area is a little bit of uh, maybe an unusual one to be in. It sounds like a great, you know, uh, I mean, it sounds like a really cool area, fun area to work in, but uh, how did you come to it? Uh, I, I guess I came to it through desperation. <laughs> because oh, no. I was working as a psychologist in the inner city, and I had this nice PhD from USC with traditional ways of working with kids, but I saw that that really wasn't going to cut it. I really had to find a way to kind of touch touch their hearts, their souls, to get them to shed some light in their life. So, you know, it just so happened imagination is free and easy, and they taught me as much as I taught them, and it was on from there. What was the uh, circumstance of a typical kid that you worked with? You know, like, what, what was their life like at home? Well, back then, it was really dark. It was a dark time for these kids. They're such sweet kids, and their families were either non-existent or just partial. There was violence in the area. The area I worked, worked, worked in looked like a war zone. And I was offering them a little respite from their, their lives. And um, I had begun meditating myself back then. That was over 30 years ago. And so I kind of combined the idea of meditation with imagination. And I wanted to give them someplace they could go where they could feel safe and also find their answers to how to handle their life. And it translated into now, for the many, many years now, I've been working in private practice and it's a different population, but they still have kids that are in pain, that are hurt, that are, you know, desperate to find a way out of depression or anger or or even their home lives. So the idea for me is really to help them access their own inner wisdom through their imagination. 
And there's so much stimulation from the outside with social media, with video games, with it, this is a way, this is like a balance. It's a, I kind of tell the kids, even though there's so much out there, there really is even more inside you. So what's a typical I mean, age and maybe a couple of stories that really uh, got oh, Sure. Like I, I actually work with kids from about four to 24 or so. And I'm thinking about a boy who is really angry. You know, he had a, what we call a, you know, good family came from, you know, parents um, were both in the, in this home and uh, he was just really angry and was getting into trouble at school and beating up his sister. And I just asked him kind of where he kept his anger, kind of looking inside and he saw it as a big red, you know, blob in his belly. And we work with, okay, so if we got this big red blob inside your belly, what might be two anecdotes? So if I'm working with what we might consider a negative feeling, I like to have two, you know, positive ones to work with. So he chose calmness and love. And for him, calmness was in his shoulders and kind of blue. And love was in his heart and was white. So I had him, I suggested he kind of close his eyes and do some what I call a balloon breath, which is just basic deep breathing, and breathe in that calm blue from his shoulders into his anger, and then fill up his whole body with calmness and notice if there was any shift. And he said that the calmness kind of covered up the anger. So I, I had him breathe in the white love into his belly and breathe it throughout his whole body. And what he said, that exploded the anger. It dissipated it. It made the anger disappear. So he saw pretty quickly that he had some power and control over that anger. And that's very helpful for anger, for anxiety. I'll often ask the kids, would you rather have your anger or your anxiety in control or do you want to be in control? And most people will say they want to be in control. So it's part of part of an effort to help to help them buy into some new tools to help themselves. Yeah, that's super interesting. What's, um, I don't know, I guess I would assume that the kids you work with are, I, I guess it's my assumption, I'm sorry, but it, it just seems like they would be surly and they wouldn't want to listen to you. They would, you know, wouldn't want to open up to you. Like, is it very difficult to get them to do that or is it No, easy? are you thinking about the inner city kids? That was from 25 years ago. And, well, I mean, and you, know, you know, in general, both, both in groups. In general, no, you know, it's really a wide range. Some, you know, my, my office setting is just like a living room. So it's kind of cozy and there's a lot of, I have dolphins on the walls that I swam with. So it, it's just a question of developing some connection to the kids. And I try to do that from an open-hearted perspective that I'm here to help them. And some of the kids, you're correct in saying some kids, you know, in in a sense, don't want to be there. But a lot of kids ask their parents, I want to see, I want to talk to someone. And I'm sort of the feelings doctor. So I don't give any shots like their regular doctor. So they're happy about that. And um, I've, you know, they might come to me with problems with sleep and they're, they're exhausted and their parents are exhausted and they want to learn to sleep on their own. I had one 12 year old come in and say, I want to learn to sleep by myself before I go to college. <laughs> it's like she's given herself plenty of time to learn that. 
So a lot of kids are actually very happy. Like uh, one mom I was speaking to the other day, and she said when her son leaves my office, it's such a weight lifted. He's so much happier all the time, and he loves coming to see me. So because here's a place, well, think about it. All the attention is on you as a child, and you're listened to the whole session. Like you don't have brothers or sisters interrupting, or you don't have parents kind of, you know, in a sense, in my field, like lecturing. You have someone that's on your side, that's on your team, that's there to help you solve whatever you'd like to in your life. Like a lot of times parents might have one agenda and the kids have another. You know, like the parents might say he's, the child is, she's very annoying or she's angry or she picks on her brother or sister. But when I ask the child, well, what's important to you? What's going on in your life? It might be very different. It might be fears that are coming up and the acting out might be from fear. So we go in and we want to, you know, my job is to maybe go in the side door rather than the front door. So of course I want to help the parents with their agenda, but I'm really there for the child. And that's what the parents want me to be for as well. When, when kids come to see you, have they been to other therapists before you or are you usually the first person? Both. Sometimes they've been to, you know, other therapists and nothing has helped. <laughs> so they, the parents come to me because it's a little, it's a new take on things. It's imagination tools. They like the idea that, you know, there are tools that the kids could help, could use themselves or they could, you know, use with their kids that could help them in specific areas. Because I'm really very practical as well. So, you know, there's I'll see kids with all kinds of issues that, you know, disturb their life. It could be anger, could be anxiety, could be sleep issues, could be all kinds of fear, could be, you know, when parents separate and get divorced, that can impact the child a lot and help them through through that process. Could be getting along with their peers or their siblings. It could be just, you know, growing up and life is hard. There's a lot of stress not so easy anymore. I think I found in the last 10 years, especially a lot more stress in the kids. Could be schoolwork, could be too much, you know, too much homework. Learning is difficult. How do I get around this? I had one girl, she was like seven. And she was like, I know this is sort of, it's exaggerated, but sometimes kids have big feelings like she wanted to kill herself. Why? because it was the end of summer, school was starting, and she thought her brain had been rotted. And uh, when she came in to see me, I asked her to draw a picture of what her brain looked like. And she drew this picture with these big black areas where spelling and math was rotted out. And she was afraid she wasn't going to do well in the following school year. And she was terrified. And that's what was bringing on her depression. And, you know, it's a adult or a parent, you might say, oh, that's not really a big deal, but it's a big deal if it's a big deal to the child. So I had her just kind of do a balloon breath, relaxing, and imagine washing out her brain, like washing it out with, with either white light or Ajax or Mr. Clean, whatever cleaner she wanted to wash it out with, and then to get every brain cell sparkling and happy and ready to learn easily. And then it totally shifted her position. It was like, she drew another picture and now her brain was like a flower. So very quickly she was able to shift because when you imagine something, the brain, you know, sees that as real. You know, it's kind of like if you suggest, imagine cutting a lemon in quarters and biting down on the lemon. What happens? <laughs> Are you biting down on the lemon? 
that you you get so tart, right? Your brain. I guess it's no. Uh, I guess it's no stranger than if, if you know, like that girl was saying, her brain was you know blackened and dead or whatever you call it, and then you wa- or dirty and you washed it clean. I guess it's you know you think that might be a silly thing at first to do for therapy, but then again, she thought the first thing, so why not think the second or change yeah. to the second thing? Yes, and there was this other girl who's a bit older, like 11 or 12, and she was having a terrible time sleeping, you know, waking her parents up. She was afraid to close her eyes at night, and there was no no logical reason for her fear, and sometimes fears stem from something that's happened, and sometimes they don't. Sometimes we understand where they're coming from, and sometimes we don't. To me, it's okay either way. We work with it. So she imagined putting, um, so I have all these like nine tools that could help kids and one to help them get into their internal wisdom. So one of the tools is imagining a loving animal friend who's there to help you. So she imagined this giant white dragon, she called Valcor, wrapped around her bed to keep her safe. And she put a tiger, she imagined a tiger by the actual door door to make sure no you know, bad people came in. And that feeling comforted her enough for her to close her eyes and allow herself to fall asleep. She actually was able to listen to one of my meditation CDs that helped her fall asleep, but she hadn't been able to do that before. And then what happened in a few weeks or a month or so, she, resistance comes up. You know, we fight the things that we're trying to help ourselves with. And she started worrying about her parents and her brother in other rooms. So when she went back inside, again, connecting with that wisdom inside, she was, um, she was suggested, Valcor, her, that giant, beautiful dragon, um, suggested sending his cousin to watch over her brother and parents. And that's what she did. And she helped. She, she, it helped her. And then kind of she was talking about how she, you know, how she used her imagination to be able to sleep peacefully. And one of her friends at school made fun of her and said, that's so stupid. That's just your imagination. And what she said was, my fears come from my imagination. So I had to go into that realm to fix them. Mm, that's cool. Yeah. So, do, you, do, you have, um, do you have people say to you, how did you think of that? Because I guess that's my <laughs> feeling. You know, like with the girl to wash her brain clean. I would say to you, I guess, without knowing you too well, when, like if I first met you, how do you think of something like that? Do you hear that a lot? So I tap into my own imagination. It comes from there. <laughs> and then some, you know, I try things out with kids. Actually, kids will often tell me what to do. So I have these basic tools like, okay, how could kids access their own imagination, their own wisdom? Animal friends also, sometimes animal friends don't work. So we need something stronger. So we bring in a wizard, like with Harry Potter being so popular all these many years. Kids imagine different kinds of wizards that are sort of more powerful and magical. Like um, even when I, because I teach this all around the world or the country or whatever. And one one mom said, I think it was a grandmother said that she she wanted a, a time management wizard came to help her. And then everyone wanted a time management wizard. All I have to do is imagine it. And then these, these helpers give them, give the kids or parents or anyone really, it's really for anyone. You just change the language depending on the age or who you're speaking to. Give them gifts. And the gifts are there to help them. And it could be a, a real gift, like a real imaginary gift, like one girl got a 
speak up necklace that she would wear to help her not be so shy. Or it could be something they show you, like they show you a new way of living or something they um, tell you, like encouragement. Like one boy who was bedwetting at age nine, which is kind of late, was told, never give up, believe in yourself. Or even beyond wizards, you might, they might connect with a wise person. If someone isn't into wizards, they might be into, you know, wise people might be less threatening. Or even the, their older, wiser self who has gone through that and already conquered the bedwetting, already conquered feeling shy. That person could speak hmm. to them. Well, you said you work with kids uh, 4 to 24. So how do those stories change over, you know, as they get older? They get more, more complicated. <laughs> more, you know, sometimes when they're young, it's simple. Like a little boy checked in. One of the another combination of tools is connecting to your own body wisdom. So he asked his belly what he needed to do, what was the message, and it was to share at preschool. Now that's something his mom or his dad or his teacher might have told him, but now he had integrated it enough that he could say it. it coming from him, it meant much, much more. Or like um, where I have kids imagine where they keep different feelings in their body. And so with younger kids, we do simple ones, happy, sad, mad. Um, and then as they get older, it gets more sophisticated. Like with a teenager, um, they might see betrayed or bored. So we just work with whatever, whatever is going on for that age group. It's, and, you know, one mom read, when she read the book, she said, oh, my gosh, I wish I had that when I was a kid. And I said, yeah, me too. <laughs> Use it now. Parents need tools too. Adults need tools too. It's just the idea that we have wisdom inside. And how can we bypass our own little defense system? You know, and so when you access the imagination and the creative side, it's not always so threatening. Like if, um, if you ask a child or even an adult, frankly, you know, why did you do that or, how could, how could you make that better? They might say, I don't know. But if they have an animal friend who shares with them how to help get over that obstacle, like um, I had a little boy who was, we were looking at his path and he started out here, wherever he was, not getting along with his brother and sister, and then where he wants to be, getting along and happy. So what's the first obstacle that comes up? Oh, bothering me in, my, in the car. So an animal friend comes in and helps him get through the obstacle, breaks down the bridge. Or one animal friend told the girl to sing a song instead, you know, to ignore her, her sister. You never know what's going to come out. It, it doesn't matter what comes out. What, what matters is that the child or the teenager or the parent is getting in touch with what will help them and helping them access their, their wisdom. Yeah, I mean, the stories that you have about kids, they're really cute. And they're very creative and smart and all that. I just wonder, again, for teenagers, you know, like 17, 18, 16, what are the stories like for them? I don't think they would be as cute, but what would they be like? They're not as cute. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, I'm thinking about a girl, and she, um, say she's 15, 16, and the question, of, you know, in these days there's a lot of drugs out there, there's a lot of alcohol out there. And for her to check in with her heart, what does her heart say she should do at a party? Like what would be best for her when she, what's her gut tell her and what's her heart tell her? 
and maybe even have a conversation between her heart and her gut. And her heart said, you know, basically maybe have one beer, you know, like sip it throughout the whole party. Don't keep drinking them. So she wasn't saying, she wasn't able to say, say to herself, don't have any alcohol, but for her, one beer, she wasn't going to eat, drink five or six, which other kids might do and get drunk and do things they regret later. So I'll have the older kids access um, a lot of heart and gut and belly wisdom or gut wisdom. What's your intuition? So I'm helping them develop their intuition and encouraging them to trust their intuition. And that becomes more apparent when they're calm. Like when you're scared or upset, if you just check inside, you're not going to get the best information. So you want to be neutral and centered and calm. And that's where meditation comes in. And meditation is really just breathing into your belly about two inches below your belly button. And that's why I call it the balloon breath for younger kids. And for older kids, I'll either call it deep breathing or meditation. And um, like one, one teenager, I just asked her, like, does anyone do, do you ever do yoga or, you know, that kind of stuff. And she goes, oh, no, my mother does that. And I go, okay, great. We're just going to do some deep breathing. So I have to work with what their beliefs are. So she thinks the word meditation has a bad connotation because her mother does it. And, you know, as a teenager, you're trying to separate from your parents. So we won't do that. We'll just do, you know, deep breathing, which is really the same kind of thing. Hmm. Interesting. So uh, you alluded to this before, but you said there's more stress now. Like, how have you seen kids change? what they have to deal with change over the past, you know, 25 years? You know, I think life seems, even back then it seemed complicated, but now it's more complicated. And now with everyone having um, cell phones, iPhones, and all the social media and being on Instagram. And yesterday, some 12-year-old was showing me TikTok. Do you know that one? All these apps where you're dependent yeah, on. TikTok. Yeah, they're dependent on likes or comments. There, there's, you know, everyone knows it's just shown there's so much cyberbullying goes, that goes on. And really, I see the kids in person. It really affects them. And, oh, one girl, this girl yesterday was showing me TikTok. She says, I have nine likes. And that isn't that wonderful. It's like nine isn't a big number, but okay. <laughs> you know, like she was so, her self-esteem, her view of herself was really affected by the number of likes that she had on doing these silly um, lip syncing things. But, yeah, I tell my, my kids that too. They'll say like, oh, I got 20 likes on this. And you know, I said, well, what does that do for you? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. You know? But yeah. I don't know where to take it from there. But yeah, it, it definitely affects kids a lot. And also all the texting they're doing, um, whether it's through regular text or through Instagram or whatever, you know, DM they're doing, they say things to each other that they wouldn't say in person. And communicating in a text fashion is very flat. So you don't get tone. You don't get any nonverbal cues. You don't get nuance a lot. So sometimes the texting um, is misinterpreted. It's misinterpreted, and they also, kids could feel, maybe adults also, they say things that are crueler, that are really much more awful than they would say to someone's face. Well, the same and thing happens with adults, you know, text. Yeah. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I try to imagine the emotion of texts and feel like sometimes I get it right. Sometimes I don't, you know, like if I text my wife and yeah. she texts me back, what I consider feels like a very flat answer. 
it bothers me, you know, and, and then sometimes I'll call her. I'd rather call and then yep. I say, what's going on? And sometimes, usually I'm right for some reason. I have this instinct, but it, I don't know. It's true. Like you can't always tell with the text as well. It's, it's strange. You can't always tell. And there's a lot of pressure. And there's also a lot of academic pressure I see that, and there's so much, there's so many more people now and trying to get into colleges, the kids, the teenagers that I've been through going through the process of getting into college, it's been really stressful for them. And then the younger kids, if they're trying to get into a private school, I mean, I know that's not a large population, but still there are, there's, you know, pretests and ICEs and SSATs, and they just don't have the cognitive skills to handle the stress. And a lot of kids have to come to me to help learn to manage their stress. And part of the stress is actually getting in to see me because they have so many other activities they have to schedule. Like they're busy, they're very, very busy. And they're not just playing on the streets. <laughs> no one's doing that in this area. They're know, always scheduled. Yeah. Hmm. And so then they cause uh, meltdown. Oh, talk about that. What do you mean? What happens? <laughs> well, I have one girl I'm thinking about, and she's, her parents are trying to get her into a middle school, high school, and the girl has to take one of these tests that you have to take. And she is freaking out. And she's so anxious about it that she's like being more mean to her sister and her parent. And she's not doing what she's supposed to. And she's just screaming and hitting and like totally losing it. So we have to practice self-talk, positive self-talk, meditation, relaxation, kindness, compassion, self-compassion. Empathy, self-empathy, like all these skills she needs to brush up on in order to just well, function. How much work is needed by the parents in these situations? I mean, is it enough for you to counsel the kids and then you send them back to the parents and they're okay? Or do the parents always have homework themselves? Yeah, the parents, I am most successful. The process is most successful when everybody's involved. And sometimes that's possible and I'm like a happy camper. And sometimes it's not. And ever since I worked in the inner city all those years ago, I promised myself that I would help kids no matter what. So if their parents are involved, great. If their parents can't be involved or don't want to be involved, that's okay too because the kids can learn the skills. So it's easier when the parents are, are, are there. But if they can't be or don't want to be, the kids can still learn skills to be okay. Are you surprised? I mean, not after all this time, probably not, but are parents surprised? I mean, do they ask you what happened or is that private between you and the kid? And like, what's that dynamic like? Well, that, you know, it really depends. Um, it depends on the child and the family. So if like I'm working with a teenager now who does not want me to speak to his parents at all, and the parents agree that it could be a private you know, a private, very confidential. Sometimes when they're, when they're, you know, when they're super young, they don't really understand that concept. And I often share, and parents might be even in the room with the kids. At some point I might say, if there's, if there's something you don't want me to share with your parents, let me know. And at other points I'll say, depending on the age or the situation, I'll say, I won't share anything unless you want me to, or unless someone's hurting you or you're, you're hurting yourself. So the idea is we can keep confidentiality as long as no one's trying to, you know, there's no abuse going on or the yeah. child is not suicidal. 
but I have to keep I have to keep them safe. And at 13, you could actually have your own confidentiality. But a lot of parents. So sometimes I'm a liaison. Sometimes I help sh- tell the parents something that the child is not comfortable sharing. So it it just depends. It's very it, it depends on the situation. But I let parents know I can't like report back all the time because then the, your child's not going to want to feel comfortable. It has to be a comfortable, safe place where they feel they could say anything. Well, and I'm some parents you, are. Yeah, no, I'm I'm glad you do this. I I just do you feel burdened sometimes that oh my god, there's so much emotion and things going on in the world, or like how do you feel about your work in general? I absolutely love my work. There's really not anything else I'd be wanting to do except maybe be a travel photographer. <laughs> for National Geographic or something. But no, it's like, this is what I'm here for. Absolutely. It's very clear to me. I love the kids. Uh, I love this work. It's wonderful to see when kids change and they're happy again, when they have skills to handle life. It's, it's just great. So, Well, not everyone can see you, unfortunately. So I guess that's no. that was maybe <laughs> one of the motivations to write your books and co-author them. So what, what yes. kind of topics do your books help people with? What are some of the ideas? Well, the, the, one, the one book, The Power of Your Child's Imagination, that's totally me, that it helps them with, sets the stage to help kids have the resources to handle pretty much everyday life problems. It could be, we didn't mention it, like headaches and stomach aches. Kids get a lot of those from stress or any kind of pain, or I've worked with kids who have cancer or just home stuff, getting along at home with friends, with family, with siblings at school. If there are any law situations like divorce, I did my dissertation way back when on the long-term effects of divorce on kids and why some kids do well and some kids don't do well with any kind of death. Could be parent, could be grandparent, could be best friend dog or cat. Um, so it's, it's pretty much everyday life issues, whatever would come up. And so I had to write this book. I just want to help. I want to make sure that anyone who wants to could develop these tools with their kids. That's why I've done a lot of meditation CDs for kids and parents. So all of that, it's just to spread the word. That's why I travel a bit to teach to whether parents, professionals, teachers, therapists, um, pediatricians, all of that. Just because there are ways you could do the tools quickly and ways you could do it take a little bit longer but they're you know pretty common sense tools that i've put together over the years that's great so i'm doing it because i you know that's what i'm here to do are there any um i don't know events or things that kids say maybe you said them already but anything that that sticks out in your mind that i don't know changed the way you think or just shocked you or changed your paradigm you know when i was working in the inner city uh, I'd go into classrooms, so I'd work with the whole class, maybe 30 kids, and I'd lead them through a guided meditation, and then we'd draw afterwards. And there was one girl that every week after week I went into her class, and she would put her head down and she would cry, just silent, you know, a little bit. And one boy started to tease her about it, and she said, no, this is my time to cry. And it was such a relief for her. She was able to release some of that sadness she was holding together. And that really touched me. It really, you know, I just, the relief and the safety she felt was so important to her. And then also one, actually it was another girl who found me years later and, you know, in another school or something, and she was in high school and she said, 
we used to do a, a like a guided meditation of imagining yourself climbing up a mountain and achieving something when you got to the top of the mountain and how good that felt. And along the way, you had like animal friends or wizards to help you climb the mountain because mountain, mountain is a metaphor for life, right? And the road could be rocky or easy or hard. And she said, um, she was a student body president, and she said, I always remember being at the top of the mountain. That was really cool. Yeah, that was really nice. Stick I guess one me. of the last, the last questions I ask you, um, I, I've asked a few people this, and their answers are kind of funny, but um, I don't know, like, it'd be, it'd be funny to imagine, what, what do you think it would feel like, or you would feel like, if you could feel what everyone feels, like, even just within your area, you know, within, I don't know, what if you could feel the combined feelings of, let's say, all of humanity, what do you think that would be like? You know, as you're saying that, I'm sitting here with my eyes closed, and sort of going into a meditation, and it just, I just see um, the earth and almost sitting in the center of the earth with all the energy and, and the feelings with all the energy around. And it feels like this golden light that's emanating. And I'm sitting and um, connecting with the love in my heart and sending it out. And at the same time, feeling all the goodness that's around. And even if there's, you know, you're saying all the feelings could be positive, negative, but it's all the light is so much more powerful, the love, that that's what, that's what ends up. Well, that's good, because I've asked a few people that, and they go, oh, God, that would, that would be so overwhelming, my head would explode. Usually, ah. when I've asked people, they feel it's like, a, it's such an unbelievable burden that they just, they couldn't take it. They would just crumble beneath that, you know? That's, that's interesting. I don't know. I've been meditating for over 30 years, so that's part of my process. In fact, when they had riots in L.A. many, many years ago, and I was in the inner city, I went to my meditation, you know, with some of my meditation buddies, and I sat in the center, and they sent me, they sent me a lot of light and love because the next day I was going into the inner city to help some of the kids that took part in the riot. So that, that feeling is still with me, that I could go in the darkest place and connect with the light inside me and send that out and connect with the light in other people to bring it out. That's and, good. and that's basically what I try to do is see the light in another child or a group and bring that, bring that out in them so they could feel good. That's great. Well, Charlotte, it's definitely been a, a positive experience to talk to you, a great experience. And it's really cool what you do. I think you have a gift for it. And uh, glad there's people like you in the world to help other people. So, and I appreciate you. Being Thank you here. so much, and I'm glad you're you're doing this recording for you know, and speak to so many people all the time. That's great. So it's a yeah. shared gratitude. Oh, good. So uh, again, for listeners, what's the best way for them to uh, get your material? What, what's the name? Oh, of come your visit my website. Yeah, this is the website. Image. It's www.imagery4kids.com, and that's F O R. And they could watch my TEDx talk is up there and lots of information about books and CDs and a lot of, you know, articles and ways to communicate with me. So I would love to hear from your audience. That would be just terrific. That's great. Well, Charlotte, thanks for coming. I appreciate it. Oh, pleasure. Pleasure. Have a wonderful day. All right, hold on a second. Hold on a second. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. 
Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials, or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription, or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Thank you.